0: Welcome to another episode of At Home With Leaders, this series that is part of the Leaders Performance Podcast. Its aim is to unearth stories and insights from the top people within high performance and what they're doing now with a bit more time on their hands and what they're planning when sport returns to all of our lives. We're delighted to announce that this podcast is supported by Football Manager, the global hit computer simulation game. Now, if you're a similar age to me, you'll no doubt be fully aware of the game of Football Manager and how the endless vital hours have been filled in the last decade or so. However, what you may not know is that Football Manager is built on the largest and most comprehensive database in world football, featuring more than 350,000 active players and staff across 51 countries and compiled by more than 1,300 scouts. In today's data age, Football Manager data is used by professional clubs at all levels to help identify talent to optimise their recruitment process. To find out more, email data at footballmanager.com. I'm Matthew Stone, Senior Product Manager here at the Leaders Performance Institute and I'd like to say hello again to all the returning listeners and say a big welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. It's also a pleasure to have my co-host alongside me once again. It's top sports psychologist, friend and colleague, Mr Michael
1: Caulfield. How are you today, Michael? Well, as we've got the Chelsea manager on in the in the words of Jimmy Grease, dangerously well, fella, dangerously well. That was the way <laughs> Good. it. Good to hear.
0: I'm really looking forward to this one. I know you are as well, Michael. Now, today's guest is the ever impressive and interesting Emma Hayes, the manager of Chelsea Football Club's women's team. It's worth me just pointing out that we recorded this episode before the announcement that the Women's Super League season had been cancelled, which is obviously a shame, but it's consequently meant that Chelsea have been crowned champions. So congratulations to Emma and to the team. We're obviously not aware of this at the time of recording, but thankfully we had a brilliant chat anyway. So let's jump right in. Emma, a very good morning to you. How are you?
2: I'm great. I'm uh, child-free for the next 45 minutes. So uh, <laughs> I'm grateful to you guys for giving me a respite. Appreciate no, it.
0: Not, not at all. What's your, um maybe a, a chaotic question to ask off, off the bat, what's your working from home setup like in the last few weeks?
2: Well, I'd say from the very beginning, very little, because the shock for me of going from working at Cobham every day to working at home every day meant that I had to deal with a toddler and even though it's my own home it felt like new surroundings and it felt like a different audience than those I'm dealing with every day so that was a shock to me so I had to create a new normal and a new routine Uh, and I think once the first week had passed by and I won't lie, I haven't taken much of a break since 2011. So I felt like this was a real opportunity to charge my batteries because even though I had Harry two years ago, last summer, I was left with the feeling of not having a trophy in our hands. So for me, off seasons are always important periods um, and I work A lot in those periods uh, to prepare for the following season so I I haven't really felt like I had a break until now so the first couple of weeks I took that and then I put myself and my health first with lots of exercise and lots of walking with a baby which I'm happy to say has become part of a daily routine for a number of hours and then changed the way I work to incorporate those conversations where necessary on those walks because anyone with children will know that sat on computers through Zoom with a two-year-old running around is fine for probably an hour. Beyond that, quite understandably, my child wants my attention and I'm sat there. So I, I think it's gone through a number of different phases. I think the first one was rest, recover, because it's still been a long season. I definitely, if you think about it, we're, you know, come March, have already been going since July 1st. So it was already nearing that end stage of the season. And then I think it was, well, what is this new normal? And how do we arrive at that point? Um, and I had to work not just with my leadership and management team, to really reflect on what that was. And then it's about, well, how do we manage multiple scenarios? Because we don't know if the league is resuming or not. And how do we communicate and coordinate that in a time when there's such uncertainty? So, And that uncertainty, it was there for me myself. So it's been a very different time uh, as a leader. And I've not just to be distanced from my players, but to create a new way of communicating. So I think after, well, now nine, ten weeks now of lockdown, I, I think got a better handle of it. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. And how you know you mentioned your players and staff there. How is how is everyone at Chelsea? How are they adapting to it?
2: Well, again, I think the players have gone through a number of situations you'll have some immediately that fear the anxiety, the concern, not just for themselves, but their immediate family, I think was difficult. I think once there's a realisation of a lockdown for some, especially my international players were still in, some of them were still in the country wanting to return home. Uh, And because we didn't really know how long the lockdown was going to be, it was a case of, should they go home? Should they stay? Will they be let back in? And then I think that realisation that the longer it got, the most important thing is everybody's emotional well-being. I think whatever was necessary for each individual that we've worked towards situations where anything and everything we've done has been making sure that it's been individually based Uh, and get it right for the player and you know I've got a staff that's been communicating throughout about the type of things that have kept players going because most of the time they're having to do it on their own and uh, I know that that's been a struggle and for those that have you know that have particularly struggled with maybe returning home is just finding the right solutions for them and it's not been easy. I, I can't. I, w- I wouldn't sit here and say it has been easy. But as I always say, just to show immense gratitude, because we all have our health, and thankfully nobody across my immediate support team and and players have have been affected in terms of their family members. So for that, I'm really, really grateful.
1: I can ask you. So I first met you at Leaders a couple of years ago with Sean Dyche. I can remember it almost to the letter. And ironically, I, I spoke to him on this forum a couple of weeks ago, and now I've got the chance of meeting you again. He was saying the same thing, that this has been his first real break, break for ages, uh, and he's used it as a chance to, to to refresh himself and to have that rest. Because even pre-season, he said, was never really a rest because you're thinking of literally going back in the moment you you, you stopped from one season to the next have you used this as an opportunity to reflect and maybe make plans to do things a bit differently when you get back? Because I think we all, we, no one can remain unaffected through, through, through the lockdown. So have, do you think you'll be a different leader when you get back?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I think I, wor- I worry about the impact it's going to have on me and my son. My mum always said this to me. You don't, you don't just have a baby em, and fall instantly in love, no matter what anybody says. She always says to me that love will grow. And what I have felt in this time that been just side by side 24-7, there's no doubt there's moments I, you know, I, I want to hide in the cupboard and it's very tough. But most of the time, um, I've been able to bond uh, with my child, which I didn't realize I didn't have the chance to do before because I was at Cobham a minimum of five days a week. And that, is tough. That was tough on him. And I worry about not just him. It'd it'd be wrong of me to say, oh, if I went back to work, be worried about my son and that separation. I'd worry about myself. I think I would really struggle to be apart from him. And that's why I think I focused a lot on the communications and how we communicate in a way that will become quite normal until there's a vaccine. Because the realities of us going back and sitting in a classroom together as a group of 30 people, players and stuff, it's just not going to happen. So, well, how are we going to do it? And looking at different methods all the time to create a process uh, where it's got structure, because I think structure is important for all of us, that little bit of routine every day. It doesn't have to be a ridiculous amount, but for me to be able to to check in with My leadership team in a Zoom call means that I know every day that I have to allot that time to it. And I think, well, if I return to work, that that meeting could still happen. And that would mean that I could still do what I need to do in the morning for Harry and go to work. And I don't expect there'll be a lot of lingering in the office. So, well, how do I get my staff around me to do that work? And then how do we collectively communicate? And we've come up with a whole new structure, we've repurposed people's jobs because their job the nature of their jobs have changed because there's no players so we've repurposed everybody and then we've created a structure in the, the week where we've created a task approach to mini teams being able to achieve things so my technical team will have a set of tasks and over 5 days Uh, which we break the week up, and then we meet at the beginning, and then we discuss at the end of the week in terms of summary. And I don't see why that will change. And I I think that everybody, I think, has recognised the good things about what is happening. Uh, and, And I think the importance of family and the importance of our physical and emotional well-being and I think you don't realize until you step out of that for a minute that how fast we we're all going so I'm not surprised to hear Sean say that because I I should imagine there'll be a lot of us feeling similar and there's a little there'll be guilt attached to that too because whenever I'm asked this in in an interview and people are saying how are you doing I, I feel bad for saying I'm I'm doing really well, and I'm really happy, and I'm really calm, and I'm—I've got my hormones under control. for me as a woman, that was has been a real challenge after having a baby, and I didn't really. know why is that? Before.
1: Do you think I—I've I, said in a number of platforms I've used, particularly with leaders, that I found that when I ask a few questions, that guilt, guilt is right. I mean, uncertainty is the number one. That's not going to get knocked off the best-selling charts of what's going through us because no one knows what tomorrow holds. But feeling guilty is right up there, Emma, in terms of, you know, you might feel healthy, you might feel well, you might have enough food in the fridge, you might not be have too many other worries outside of this. But why do you think we've, we, we do have that guilt emotion trapped in us?
2: Because I think we've been institutionalised into working in such a way and at such a level over a number of hours. And I think when you're in high-performance environments, the demands just grow. And I know from my position... I have to think every year, oh, my God, how am I going to top last year? Mm. Or, you know, to, to, to do that, plus keep yourself fresh, plus almost reinvent yourself. It takes an extraordinary amount of work to keep yourself topical with your players, with your staff, to keep yourself hungry and that takes a lot of self reflection to really see where you are and assess where you are and ultimately you don't have time to just sit and yeah there might be at windows when you're at work i might take you know time to meditate once a week not as much as i'd like to i might take time for a walk not as much as i'm doing now and i think what ends up happening is you just you lose yourself in all of it and I think everybody's regained themselves. And that is enlightening. But it also means with that, you've put yourself first. And that's where I think the guilt comes. I think the guilt comes from a place of, oh, my God, this is... I feel terrible about the fact that I'm happy looking after myself because I'm so used to looking after a whole team or a, a team of people. I keep seeing one of my... one of the, so A woman I work with in America, Marsha McDermott, keeps putting a, not, not even a quote every day on Twitter, but she always ends it with be kind. And I think that everybody in this time is learning how to be a bit kinder, and not just to everybody else, but to themselves. Uh, that's, that's an interesting part. I think that will take some time. I think it will get easier. I think it will lessen the guilt with more time. But I think that that will be there because we're from a culture of work, work, work.
0: Emma, last kind of COVID-related question specifically. What what do you think sport, or you know, not just football? What what could sport look like as as you know we return post post lockdown? You know, you mentioned a couple of things there. Is there anything in particular you think will will change for the good? Uh, that's a good
2: question because you're you, you're talking about at least in team sports, us considering our whole modus operandi and saying to ourselves what do you mean we're going to social distance in build up towards a game yet when we go into a game there's going to you still got to tackle and you still got to have physical contact i was really fascinated to learn that this weekend last weekend's bundesliga games the ball was in play more than ever uh there were less tackles there were less physical challenges And if you take that as a starting point and you think that that will be the case across the board, then the game is going to change somewhat. And I always think the difference between men and women's football is that the ball really is in play much more uh, in the women's game than it is men's game because it's slightly slower. So I think football will involve even more build-ups, even more passages of play, longer passages of play, because there'll be less tackles. You might have more goals or more goal creations from set pieces because people might not want to get involved with, with that part. There'll be an anxiety with it. Perhaps there will be a reluctance in one, 1v1s, not just for the goalkeeper, but across the pitch. So I think those things will change in the sport. That, and that is interesting because if you want to develop your training sessions to reflect that of the game and you want to mirror intensity, well, how are you going to do that when there's always going to be, everybody's going to be holding back slightly? There were eight injuries in the Bundesliga this weekend and every I heard my doctor talking about it and I said to him, Yeah, but what were the number of injuries in the first game of the Bundesliga back in September? And for me, that's a a much more interesting correlation because everybody's concerned that with quick build-up, there'll be more injuries. Perhaps there will be, but I think that the, the biggest concern with the development of football, at least, will be for those players that will really, really struggle to return to play through fear of, of, of getting the virus. And I think that that will alter an awful lot that goes on inside team dynamics. You're not going to have dressing room environments anymore. A lot more withdrawn behaviour. We're going to have to learn as coaches how to observe and recognise mental health issues quicker because you're not going to be able to hear things per se from, from players or staff alike because the interactions are going to differ. So I think it's going to alter an awful lot what we do as facilitators, and it's not—it's going to be less, yes, tactically. You know, you're still going to have to do what you need to in in our sport, but I, I think that there's going to be huge reflections that take place to adjust to the new normals that are going to come with the way the game is going to be played.
1: I've summarize from that that men's football could learn an awful lot from women's football because you've you've already been there with the ball in play with slightly yeah. slower slow build-ups as you say. And have you had have you had any call? Have you had any have you had anybody on to you asking for not so much advice, it's just how how do you go about things from who from from male coaches from from teams going back going back to train and play in playing in not football? really
2: no. I think uh, my interest, I mean, listen, I have a lot of friends that are coaching in the men's game that some I've spoken to during this time and to be honest with you a lot of those conversations have been in and around our recovery less about what we will return to because I think maybe my mindset was that, that it would be a 12-week period of which uh, we wouldn't return so as I know with reflections it's important to just sit in them and see see where they go but I think Watching the Bundesliga was probably the first time this weekend where I thought this is the game's tepid. It's got less intensity because you don't have defensive pressures that are 100%. So you've got more time and you've got more space on the ball. And it looks, I think everything is going to look more like a La Liga game, even in the Premier League than it will like we're used to seeing. And then you take away the crowd from that. I mean, how can you measure the impact of playing without a crowd on performance? Every player will always say they will go up another level with the noise of people. So I think we're going to have to adjust to watching football differently. And I'm not sure... You know, our own country. We we like we like the fast, frenetic pace of the Premier League. We might have to accept that that will that most games at times will look like a pre season friendly.
1: You mentioned the word adaptable. You once said, which is one of my favourite quotes of yours? You you said that you work in an industry where women get treated like small men. How do you overcome that? How did you overcome that?
2: First of all, I needed to recognise that I wasn't a small man. Myself. So your starting point is always yourself. And I had a really enlightened moment sat on the the bench at Wembley during the FA Cup final when we were getting pummeled by Arsenal. And I had a number of players that were either approaching phase one of their menstrual cycle or in it. And we just, our reaction times, the mood, the energy, everything about that day was just so off. And I kept thinking to myself, well, what importance does our menstrual cycle have on our performance? And then I had to ask myself a question, what is a menstrual cycle? What is a uh, a reproductive process? Why don't I know this? What was I not taught? And I had to go all the way back to secondary education and thought, I wasn't taught this and I don't really understand it. And so my starting point is I need to understand that to know what impact it has on us. And then it went from there, to be honest. And then I was reading a lot of work from Stacey Sims, a physiologist. I think she's Australian, brilliant work. She talked a lot about this and how we need to, from strength programs to the ty- to how different we are as endurance runners compared to men, how we process how fuels differently, et cetera, et cetera. And it got me thinking the failures of coach education and how I've sat in scores of courses, learning about the game, learning about the men's game. And I've taken that and then applied it in the women's game. And I'd never really been challenged on what the differences were. And so there was, so once I'd reached that part, I then made a decision with a woman I work with, Eva Woods, who's our women's health coach, that we were going to start with our own house at Chelsea. And um, I then educated all my staff, a lot of them male, around the menstrual cycle. And I said to them, my job is to make you a better husband. (laughs) Because when you go home and you're like, oh, she's on the time, she's got the time of the month again, that you don't just disappear because you don't understand it, that actually you might have strategies for her and that makes the quality of your life better. And it just went from there. And I think that we are probably one of the only environments in the world where we really consider those differences and they become the starting points now. Um, and everything from tactics to technical work, it's all considered. Like I always say this to people, in men's football, a left back or a full back and get a ball up, pick a ball up. And hit it over, diagonally over the opposition's fullback. You can't do that in a women's game any more than you can, you know, if, if a male player runs a team of, of female footballers, you have to work so hard to be organised because physically you're going to be outrun in a one-on-one situation. So we have some advantages because we have to focus so hard on our tactic instead of our individual physical development or the advantages that that may place over um, one another. And I think once I got my mindset into that place, I think it completely transformed the way I thought. A harsh lesson, to sit there at Wembley, I think we lost 2-1. I don't remember, but I remember it thinking, long after, I remember laying in bed the following morning, uh, and the, I think it was a phone call to go on the radio about six o'clock in the morning and we'd lost and I didn't sleep all night and, I, and it was just swirling around in my mind that I was a million miles away from where I needed to be
0: Very powerful, I guess the next question from my perspective is just, you know, despite all the advances in women's football and you've talked about some of the men, what are the what are the things that still annoy you about how the sport is, is viewed and treated, but also on the flip side, you know, what, what makes you proud to be involved in the women's game as well? Because it's, it seemed to progress so much in the last few years as well. So so what are a couple of, couple of things both sides that, that you think about at the moment in terms of um, what annoys you, but also what makes you proud?
2: I think I go the the, la, the, 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 the proud direction, because I'm, I'm a glass half full person. Good. And I think we've if i think about where the game was in 2012 when i came back to this country and where it is now if you'd have told me then uh, some of the developments that had happened in the game from playing at stanford bridge in front of 25 30,000 people to playing at wembley in front of 55,000 people to to having to watching a world cup uh, where you had record television audiences, to then go into an England-Germany game at Wembley, which was fantastic to watch for, for someone who's been involved in the game. I, I can't say I wouldn't have believed you, because I, I, I've always felt in my own heart I was going to be a big driver of the sport. i would made that decision. So when you're a driver of anything... Um, I focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. I'll focus on what I have, not what I don't have. And I will always focus on what I want and not what I don't want. So I've found that the more I'm coaching in this country and the further the game is progressing, the more committed I become, but also the less critical about the interactions between everyone, whether that's... Uh, between clubs and the FA, the the media, et cetera, et cetera, and and push harder to work together because that, that, not just those cross communications, that collaboration will be the determining factor in the next level of progression. So I'm proud of the efforts of everyone to push the sport to where it is. I think... We could look at COVID-19 and talk about the negative impacts it's going to have on the women's game. But I also think that we are solid enough that we can come through this and build on it and that we've developed enough of an audience for now to be where we are. And I I still think you have to always, with the women's game, remember that for 50-odd years it was banned. So we've got 50 years to make up. So you're not going to go from 1,000 people to 50,000 people. It's just not going to happen. This isn't wartime and this isn't a, a time where there's no men's football being played. We've got to develop our own audience. We've got to generate our own revenues. I, and and within that time, I've learned the difference between equity and equality and, and the importance of really pushing to – give us access to things. We know we have to make money. We know we have to drive attendances. We know we have to improve the product, but give us the opportunities to do it and see where we finish up in 50 years time. Uh, And I think that when I get to the end of my career, that for me will be the lasting impact that I can have on my sport is being able to look back and say, well, that's where it was then and here's where it is now. And we've all secured futures for scores of young girls or or women coming into the game or not even that. You know, I I am an advocate of anybody coming into our game that is passionate about it and importantly skilled and uh, professional enough to take us to the next level. I'm grateful for for the work we've done over this time. So I, I don't think anything annoys me with it. I'm just looking forward to the next phase.
1: You're proud of what you're achieving in, in football, but it, it appears to me the greatest pride and joy of your life is your young son, Harry, age two. Uh, he's, have, he's given you an hour off this morning. Uh, how do you combine yeah. the role of being a committed leader, which you are? I always see football managers as leaders as much as managers and coaches. So how do you combine that role uh, and being a, a mum to your young two-year-old son?
2: I think the honest answer is I don't know. I battle it daily with giving the right amount of time to my job and the right amount of time to being a parent. Uh, I get it wrong a lot of the time. Um, I think every parent can resonate with what I say. Working parent can resonate with that. I think sometimes you feel like um, I feel more of a fouled parent most of the time than a successful one because you're having to learn a whole new language and a whole new way of leading someone when I, there's no manual for it. I don't care what anyone says. I've read books. I'm doing everything I can to try and raise a child in the best way possible, but it's extremely challenging when you have uh, someone who's immature and quite rightly so—they're they're, they're babies—but it means it can't be a rational process sometimes, and it can't always involve conversation, and it and it requires an extreme amount of patience. I'm grateful that I've got this time to do it because when people say to you, you know, just spend the time with them in their early years, you never get that back. Well, I fully understand that now in lockdown, and I feel a little bit uh, relieved that I've been given that opportunity. And I think when I think being with the team the team understands uh I bring Harry with uh the team probably once a week he comes in on a Saturday and they love him being there and they've all uh what they're watching him grow and looking after him I've got several babysitters on the team and sometimes when I'm having a hard time with it and they see that they they will comfort and uh help me and I can think of many a times that that Players have really looked out for me when I've had a hard time with it. And I think that whole nurture uh, culture comes easier in a women's football environment. And that's why I've always said I cannot understand in any environment where you would have just single sexes working. For me, it wouldn't matter if it was a bank to a men's football team to a teaching environment. I think balance is crucial for good health and emotional well-being. And I think having, having a child into that mix and making those realities obvious, I think shows the human side of any leader. Uh, and I, I'm grateful that I've had such wonderful support from the club. They have always supported me from, from day one. Uh, and especially when I became a parent, you know, they I think the club really offered the support that was needed and maybe I'm reshaping the way that it will look in the future in terms of managers taking their children on the road etc but that's what's necessary in order for me to do the job and be a parent at the same time and I think I'm have to reflect daily on how I'm going to keep managing that especially once he goes to school I think that'll be my next challenge
1: I hope you do reset the dial cord or what you will in terms of Getting more uh, balance in, in, in the workplace in football, men's football in particular, because uh, it has just been you know what it has been, and I, I think the more women get involved, the more balance you get, you get better behaviour, oh. you get everything. But that's but that's not for now. But can I ask you one more non-football question, if I may, Emma, please, because I yeah. know that uh, this is an, an issue you, you 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 talk about and 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 you take terribly seriously for all the obvious reasons. But you do talk about domestic abuse and why is it so important to you and what more does society need to do to understand it and, and help more
2: well i think i have a personal experience of it as a child with a you know a family member coming and staying with us uh having gone through that and i i remember as a 9 year old thinking how scared i was for her, for her children, not not really understanding it necessarily, just feeling a lot of fear and anxiety and worry. So my personal experience with it was uh, one that affected the the whole family. And I think knowing, as I mentioned before, for someone like myself being having to change my whole life in lockdown to 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 be that of a full time parent was a big chat has been a big challenge but that none of that or any of it can be compared to the fact that there are people stuck in their houses without any escape whatsoever from their partners and that children and uh, victims are stuck contemplating you know what to do and it's not just an important issue to raise now but i do think that it's felt more because of the fact that people couldn't go out more than once a day, and couldn't get away from it, so their whole life is being monitored, while behind closed doors. And I know I can't just say this because I've been at Chelsea for nine years, but I probably am best placed to say, it, uh, being a you know a trustee on 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 the board for the foundation, I see so good work that our club does and when it comes to campaigns like this one i'm so grateful that we are supporting something not just by raising awareness but financially commu- contributing or offering the support that's necessary to help victims and and that's what the role i think football clubs should be playing um especially now is help the community in any which way we can and of course it's easy to say if you've got the finances to do that. And I don't always, I'm not always talking about money. It can be in the form of phone calls. It can be in the form of visits. It can be in the form of running food banks. It doesn't matter. But I think we have such a massive role to play in people's lives. And I think being able to work across a number of different charities that the club has, along with helping the NHS where we can, I think Chelsea have been a real beacon throughout the last nine weeks for the work they've been doing and I'm proud to represent that.
0: Absolutely. No, there's some incredible work being done by the club and a lot of clubs out there and I couldn't agree more. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that as well. Emma. I think the last question for me really is, is yeah, we're recording this podcast in Mental Health Awareness Week so it feels appropriate to ask and talk about um, the topic and you've touched on a top of the, a couple of the topics um and there but how is sport and football specifically dealing with the topic of mental health do you think not just what you've seen in you know close to home at Chelsea but across the world of sport how would how do you think it's dealing with the topic?
2: Well I think the last few years have shown that not just having a mental health awareness week are crucial but actually we are starting to value that on the level of mass importance and it's not just about being physically prepared for anything we do but emotionally and mentally the support i think that has been provided in our profession is it's not been good enough and i think there's always an assumption that uh, in the women's game as well because listen women are better communicators so we might be a bit more aware sometimes of the challenges that happen uh, within people's households. But at the same time, our level, the level of support you've got to be able to provide people requires expertise. And I think what you will see in our sport is a lot more support within clubs, for teams, for individuals, and that acknowledgement of being more consistent with it and it not just being an annual process that happens once a week, that we've got to be able to think about how on a daily weekly monthly basis we're checking in with people and and importantly we're being trained in those areas to identify when people are struggling like it's one of the i think it's probably one of the biggest skills you have to have as a leader and i know in my own job i have to be able to recognize when people's body language is off or when their behavior is off and it's not always about what people say to you or they tell you. It's, it's a, in, in part intuition. It's in part uh, knowing the individuals. That's why I think in the recruitment process, it's so important to build relationships with your players to really get to know who they are and where they're from because it gets a lot easier to read when they're going through a hard time. And then that recognition that during that hard time, everybody has, everybody's approaches will be different. They have to be open to the fact that we work at it from a team approach and that some individuals might be better off talking with one person over another, et cetera, and that we've got trust and confidentiality at the heart of it and that we put it at the fr- front and centre of, of what our values are. And it's certainly something you know I value and I'm particularly pleased to see it having a growing importance in the men's game.
1: I can safely say, because that's why I practice and try and do my work. And I've been involved with men's football now for 12, 13 years. And there are still barriers to be broken down, I can assure you, and to get players talking and trusting. Uh, but it is happening. And I just hope we still get the chance to do it when we all get back to work in a in a more normal environment. But Emma, from me, thank you very much. Before I hand back to, uh, to Matt, just one question. We've all had a little bit of self-indulgence of reading a book, watching a film, watching something on Netflix if we subscribe to it. Is there one little is there one programme out there, one podcast, one film, one series you've you've been watching, which you've really enjoyed, which you've just lost yourself in during the last few weeks?
2: Well, I'm lost in the last dance right now, which (laughs) I think everybody has, but I've loved the test on the Australian cricket team. I've loved the one on the Brazilian football team. Mm. It might even just I loved that immensely. I loved normal people on BBC. Complex but romantic. Could have been done over eight episodes, not twelve, but I loved it. And I actually got to finish Game of Thrones.
1: You, you've had a good. You've had a good time, haven't you? You've had a good time as well as, a, as well I as well, an hour, be-
2: One hour a night, maybe maybe two hours if I, yeah. if I if I choose to go to bed later. Then I pay for that price at five or half five in the morning. But I'm enjoying watching a lot of sports docu series and as a podcast. Oh, one on Pochettino was outstanding. Some L.A. series stuff with Eddie Jones, who I love. One on Tracy Neville, brilliant. So some different some different stuff. That's what I get to do on my walks. I get to listen or I get to get my work phone calls in. So I've been learning. That never stops. That never stops. And learning a lot of children's nursery rhymes.
1: <laughs> well, I've learned through my little association with leaders during lockdown that uh, the, the podcast we recorded with Sean and Eddie Jones and Stuart Lancaster, that they've helped people on their walks, too. And I know for a fact, because I've been sitting here for 45 minutes, just list, sitting back in my chair, listening to, to your thoughts and insights in a changing world. So for me, Emma, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure to meet you again, sort of.
0: Thank you. Uh, it'll
1: do for now. And I hope that one day we do it again in, in person because... For all the for all the Zoom and all the Microsoft Teams, you still can't beat that face to face communication. So Emma, no. thank you so much for me, and I, and I'll hand you back to Matt for now. But thank you, Emma.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you, Emma. Thank you, Michael. It was absolutely brilliant. Emma, a very best of luck to you when, whenever football does return, uh, and a pleasure to speak to you as always. Stay safe in regards to all the team down at Chelsea.
2: Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, best of luck. Look after yourselves. <laughs>